0: Well, good morning today, glad to be here today, open to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, we want to look at a passage and as we do, I want to ask you a question, how do you live your Christian life? How do you go about your Christian life on a daily basis? Now, this is not a, a, a sermon about, well, do you read your Bible? Do you, do you spend a minute praying? Do you have your, your quiet time? That kind of thing. This is a, a broader picture of how you live your Christian life. The first half of Ephesians all, is all doctrine. The second, of all, uh, second half is all application. How do you do it? In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10, Paul gets down to business. There's a section of scripture here that's very intense, very purposeful that describes the Christian life in real terms and how you're to live, how we are to live our Christian lives. Beginning in verse 10. Finally, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in that evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all power and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making a supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in my opening in in opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand this passage. Help us to be able to use this passage, Lord, when we leave and apply it to our lives, Father. We ask you in Jesus' name. How do you live the Christian life? That's a question that's been laid down by Paul. He says, Finally, after six chapters, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Why does he say be strong in the Lord? He says be strong in the Lord because some people want to be strong in themselves. They think they've got the strength to fight the battles, they think they're good enough, they think they're spiritual enough, but they aren't. The battle belongs to the Lord. And because the battle belongs to the Lord, we should be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might because He can do so much more than we could ever do. There's just simply no comparison. There's, one man said, Our God is so great, He cannot be exaggerated. Think about that for a minute. He cannot be exaggerated. But let me tell you something. You can exaggerate Bill real quick. And you can exaggerate you real quick. We need to see ourselves as nothing before the cross in need of His grace, in need of His mercy, and in need of His strength. We are completely and totally dependent on Him. And as we're dependent on Him, verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God. The word put on literally means receive. Receive. The idea in that word is, God has His hand outstretched with these things saying, take this, put this on. Have you ever seen a parent, or you've probably done it yourself on a cold winter day, say, put this coat on here, take this coat. That's what this word means. Jesus has all this for us if we'll receive it if we'll take it and make it a part of our lives. Why would we not make it a part of of our lives? If we're born-again believers, if we say we're born-again, if we say we're Christians, why would we not do it? It's a good thing to pray to just say, Lord, I want everything You've got for me. And He's going to start with these things. Put on or receive the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So let's look at that verse. That you may be able to stand. Do you know that there is someone who wants to destroy you? Do you know there is someone who wants to destroy your testimony? Do you know that there is someone who wants to obliterate you? And that is the devil. So look at what this passage says it says, that you may be able to stand. The word stand there means to take an active position, to take your position. Some Christians live their life, some of you that are a little older will remember this program, Gomer Pyle. Some Christians live their life like Gomer Pyle went to the Marines. He never really took the Marines seriously. But we are to take our position in the battle. If we do not take our position, the battle is lost in our case. If we refuse to take our position, the battle is lost. Let me ask you, are you willing to take your position? Are you willing to actively stand against the enemy? That's what Paul is calling for in this passage. And to stand against the schemes, my translation, the ESV says, schemes... The word means bad plans. That's what schemes mean. The enemy has bad plans for you. These are pre-planned. He's not shooting from the hip. He's got a plan. And he wants to execute those plans. And the first plan would be that you not take your position against him that you just simply don't take your position, don't even get started. Why would we not take our position to stand against the enemy when Jesus took His position on the cross? If He did that for you, and if He did that for me, why would we not take our position and stand for Him? There's ain't a word for those people who don't take their position. It's called ineffective for Christ. They're completely ineffective. No testimony whatsoever. And what does it, verse 12 says, because, for, anytime you see the word for, most of the time it means because. Sometimes it means in order to, but most of the time it means because. Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness. This present darkness means this world now. You see, Christ defeated the enemy at the cross the enemy is now engaged in spiritual warfare. They know they can't take your salvation. If you're a believer in Christ, your salvation is secure. However, they can take your testimony. They can take your witness. They can destroy your life. And that's what those bad pl- plans are about. And that, but we wrestle against, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood the person that's irritating you at work is not the real problem. It's the enemy. The person, the company that's attacking you or the things that are going wrong, the enemy has bad plans and they're working. And sometimes they really work good. So what do we do to help shut that down? See, we wrestle against these uh, against. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers. Now, the word wrestle is a close term. If you're wrestling somebody, you're right up against them. You're right there next to them. That's wrestling. And the idea in this passage is that the enemy is very, very close. and we're going to talk more about that in just a minute but the enemy is close not far away so we wrestle against these rulers and authorities and against the cosmic powers over its present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places now think about this we got these guys you have these bad plans against us, we can't see them. We don't know where they are. We don't know when they're coming. We don't know how they're going to attack. It doesn't look real good, does it? That's why you can't do it in your own strength. You just simply can't do it in your own strength. If you're fighting the battle in the old your own strength, there's a word for you that's called loser. You're going to lose. Can you imagine getting in a boxing ring and you're blindfolded, your legs are tied, your hands are tied, and you wonder why you're losing? Why is this happening to me? It's because you're blindfolded, your hands are tied, and your legs are tied. That's how we are in this. We have to do things God's way in God's power. And that's the only hope for victory. Verse 13, Therefore... Anytime you see the word therefore, it means as a result of or because of what I just said. So because of what Paul just said, take up the whole armor of God. Remember that word put on. Take up means the same thing. God's holding out the armor of God for you. He's he's holding it out. He wants you to take it. So let's look at this armor. Let's see what this is made of. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in that evil day and having done all to stand firm. The idea in this verse is you don't have a chance without this armor. Without this armor, it's hopeless for you. But with this armor, you can win. So why not put on the armor? Why not put it on? It's the only armor God's offering. There's no plan B. There's no, like a little child, mom says, put on this coat. No, I like this one better. It doesn't work that way. This is what God has. This is the armor that he wants us to dress in every day. And having done all to stand firm, He wants us standing firm. He wants us standing in place. He wants us to take our place in the battle line with the full armor on. Now let me ask you, you, have you done that? Are you willing to do that? Or are you just going to sit on the sidelines and be completely ineffective for Christ and expect a great big blessing when you get to heaven? Are you going to be one of those people who's doing absolutely nothing for the Lord and say, Preacher, why, why is this happening to me? Can you imagine getting a job and you go to work and, and you just you find a chair and you sit down and you sit there for two weeks and in two weeks you, you wonder why you don't get a paycheck? You haven't started work yet. So. Why would we, you and I, not put on the whole armor of God? Why would we not do that? This is the only plan he has. So let's look at, at this armor. It says, Stand therefore, having, the, having fastened the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Now a belt, everybody knows what a belt is. It goes right around your middle. Every bit of this Uh, Almost all of this armor is dependent on this belt of truth. So what is a belt of truth? A belt of truth is simply you living a life of truth. You being honest in all areas. A Christian cannot lie and expect to have a good testimony. A A Christian cannot be deceptive, deceitful, dishonest. All those things. We've got to have, we must live a life of truth. Have you ever been around somebody who just has a problem with lying? I know two guys who lie to me about things occasionally, and sometimes they lie when there's no reason to lie. It makes no sense to me. But that's what they do. I, I, I know one guy, he's a pastor. He went to his new church. And I said, well, how big is your new church? 150. Well, it doesn't matter to me how big his church is, really. I don't, you know. That's his business. So for a year, he's telling me 150. After a year, he says, well, when I first came here, Bill, we had 85 i say, I just listened to a lie for a year. And he says, well, now we've got 130. Well, I don't know what's right, but I'm guessing the 85's real close. <laughs> Preachers never go down. So, but what does that do when he tells me other things? See, when, when you lie or are deceitful, people don't believe you and the rest of your armor is in danger because you do not live a life of truth. We have to live a life of truth as believers. Christians should always be, in any group, the people with the highest integrity. So you put on the belt of truth and, and having put on a breastplate of righteousness. A breastplate of righteousness is living a life of righteousness that becomes a breastplate of protection. Have you ever heard someone accuse somebody or say something about somebody, but that person's reputation destroys what that person just said about them? That's a breastplate of Righteousness. The breastplate went from here to about the belt. It had two straps that would wrap around the belt like this and would hold the breastplate, the, the breastplate in place at the bottom. And the purpose of the breastplate is to protect most of the body. You have to live a righteous life if you're going to be a successful Christian. There's no other choice. You can't compromise on righteousness. Righteousness is dependent on truth. And righteousness means that you have chosen to live the way God would have you live in any circumstance. That's what righteousness is. You choose to live the way God wants you to live. Is there anything in your life that doesn't measure up to what God wants? Is there any area in your life where you say, oh, this doesn't matter? I talked to one guy. He's also a pastor, a friend in another part of the country. We're talking about taxes. I said, well, how do you do your mileage? He said, well, I take half, my, half of my income... And whatever that is, that's my mileage. So he's claiming to drive right now 22,500 miles a year for mileage, and he lives next to the church. <laughs> I mean, that's a little stretch right there. The thing is, the enemy that's doing this warfare, he, he knows all that. Okay? He, he's not, he knows that he's doing that. And whether when we do something unrighteous, even if we think no one else knows, God knows. And the enemy knows. And they just file that back and wait to use it later. We must live this life of righteousness as believers. Okay? There's no compromise on that. Imagine somebody... Playing for the Chicago Cubs. And as they're playing for the Chicago Cubs, they run out on the field with the Cleveland Indians jersey on. What would the Cubs fan think? They would think the guy was a traitor. That's what happens when a believer who says they believe Jesus, they live for Jesus, and then they go out and they cuss. And they do all kinds of other things. And they wonder... Why their testimony is zero at work? It's because they've compromised in things that they think are little, but they're really big. You know, it doesn't take but a very small rock in your shoe to shut everything down, does it? And it doesn't take but a little cursing, a little lying, a little cheating, little stealing, a little pilfering, those kind of things to shut down your testimony of righteousness. People just simply don't believe you at that point. So you put on the breastplate, meaning you live this life of righteousness. And verse 15, has shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. What's the gospel of peace? The gospel of peace is you have peace with God. That's the gospel of peace. That's Romans 5.1. Therefore, having peace with God. Do you know you're at peace with God? Do you, do you know you're at peace with God? Do you know any believer that's truly a believer has peace with God? What does that mean? That means because I'm saved, my life should change. And see, this gospel of peace... It says, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Because you're at peace with God, you are ready to serve God. You're ready to go. You're ready to go serve. You're ready to go minister. You're ready to do whatever your area of, minister, of ministry could be. You're ready to use your spiritual gift in whatever every way is necessary at that time. See, if you have peace with God, you should be ready to serve Him. Jesus died on the cross. He suffered. He was beaten. Severely beaten. He didn't do it because He's on vacation needs something to do. He needed, did it because you and I are lost. And there's no hope without Him doing this. It was the only way. So he dies on the cross, and now we have peace with God. You and I have peace with God. That should change things. That should make us ready to serve him. Are you ready to serve him? Are you ready or are you sitting on the sidelines? Some people sit in the stands and just want to cheer other people on who are ready. You did a good job. I haven't done anything in five years, but you did a good job. We should all have some ministry. If all else fails, and you don't know what your ministry is, prayer doesn't cost anything. You don't have to go anywhere, and you don't have to dress any differently. You don't even have to turn lights on. All you got to do is pray. You can pray. Bottom line, any believer can Pray. There's always a ministry available. I've never been in a church where a pastor stood up and said, I want to thank you, all positions in the field. Everybody's doing everything they can. We don't need any more help. I have never heard that. There's always some place to serve. We should be having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace... Verse 16, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the darts of the evil one. In all circumstances. I just hate that, all circumstances. That means in every situation. That means there's no time when you don't need to do this. That means one little dart is okay. What if someone just started throwing darts at you and some of them were hitting you and those sharp points were going into you, what would you say? I'd say, quit! Stop throwing those at me. And God has given us a weapon here, a defensive weapon, to shut down all the darts or flaming arrows of the enemy. Take up the shield of faith. What is the shield of faith? The shield of faith is our personal Christian witness and life in God. It's knowing that I am a child of God. And when that arrow comes in and it's contrary to what God wants me to do, I say, no, I am a child of God. That's what the shield of faith is. It makes it clear you are a child of God, and because you are a child of God, when something comes into your mind that you don't want there, you lift that shield of faith. And you say no to that. And the enemy runs when you stand firm, but you have to stand. And you have to lift that shield of faith. Let me ask you, are you a child of God? Or are you just a church member? Some people have been sitting in the pews a long time. And have come to the church and have come to baptism and come to everything else but never come to Christ. So if that's you, let me encourage you to look at your salvation today. And take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. What are these flaming darts? These flaming darts are thoughts that come into your head that are contrary to what God wants. It's a thought that if you execute it, you are sinning. What about lust? Those darts, that's a dart from the, from the devil. Stealing, lying, cheating. All, every sin you can imagine, they're shooting these darts at you. The Bible talks about strongholds. A stronghold in your mind is nothing more than a thought pattern on the inside of you that the devil works out of. And he just shoots those darts at you from the inside. We shut those down, those strongholds down by lifting the shield of faith and saying, no. I'm not going to do that. Something else I have found it's not in this passage, but I'll lay this out. The Old Testament talks about a hedge of thorns that God has around Israel. In Job chapter 1 and 2 the devil comes before God and says well you have a hedge around Uh, Job. I can't get in there. I have found and had more success in cleaning up my thought life through this one aspect than any other thing I've done. And that is, when I get up in the morning, I ask the Lord, I I don't do it myself, I say, Father, would you place a hedge of thorns around me? And do it for now, through the rest of this morning and afternoon. And The Father will put a hedge around you, if you ask Him. And that shuts down a lot. You might ask, you know, many people are saying, look what's happened to America. One Jewish rabbi said, well, the smile of heaven is being removed. In other words, that hedge is being pulled back and the enemy is running through it. Well, he's running through our personal lives too, because we don't have that hedge around us. You just ask the Lord to put that hedge around you, and He will do it. Take up the shield of faith, in which you can extinguish all the darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The helmet of salvation is simply, I'm a child of God. I know I'm saved. First John says, It is God's will that you know you are saved. Can you imagine a kid growing up in a family and the parents say, we're not going to tell you if you're really our kid. You're going to have to guess all your life if you're our kid or not. You know, when we die, you can do DNA and find out. Well, no, the parents are going to say, you're our kid. And God wants you to know that you're saved. And not being sure of your salvation brings a lot of stability in your Christian life. And you put that on over your mind, I am a child of God, I am saved. Because if the devil can talk you out of your salvation, you're done. You're done. The worst wound you can get in war is a head wound. I mean, if the bullet hits you in the head, you're probably done and that's what the enemy wants to do if you don't have that helmet of salvation if you don't have that certainty of knowing you're saved and take the helmet of salvation the idea there in the word take is to again to receive it's right there I want you to know take this accept it take up the sword of the spirit and let's see. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God the sword of the spirit hung on the belt of truth if you don't live a life of truth, you can't use the sword of the Spirit effectively. It hangs on the belt of truth. This isn't a long sword like you would see in the movies. It's five or six feet long. This is an 18-inch sword. It's a, what we would almost would call a dagger. And the purpose of that is close hand-to-hand combat. That's the purpose of this. Why? Because the enemy is close. We're in combat. And we need a short sword. As the, Bible, the Word of God described, the sword of the Spirit sharper than a two-edged sword. If we know the Word of God, and if we learn the Word of God, we can be effective. One of the verses I've uh, memorized... Is Romans 6, 1 or 2? Romans 6, 1 and 2. And then that verse says, What shall I say then? Shall I go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means I died to sin. And I just repeat that. and Repeat it. Pretty soon the attack stops. What shall I say then? Shall I go on sinning? by no means absolutely not and take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication praying at all times in the spirit you know there, there are three kinds of churches there are churches that are scared to death of the Holy Spirit they're called dead dead There are churches that are so excited about the Holy Spirit, they occasionally step out of bounds. And there are churches that have a right balance. You want to have the right balance. The Holy Spirit should be active in our lives. If He's not active in your life, you don't have much going on. I mean, He's he's who we deal with on a daily basis. He's He's our counselor. He's the one who protects us. We've got to understand that we should allow the Holy Spirit to be in our lives and in our church. With balance. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Prayer is general prayer to God. Supplication is an urgent request. I need this now. Help, my house is on fire. It's that kind of request. You know, when you call the fire department or 911 and your house is on fire, you don't say, you know, I don't know if I need this or not. Might be something, house on fire. No urgency, come when you can make it. That's not this prayer. The supplication is my house is on fire and I need you now. Right now. That's what supplication is. and We should, we should be people of prayer. people of strong prayer someone I I read a book uh, in the shadows it's a book about uh, an author wrote it about C.S. Lewis you've heard of C.S. Lewis C.S. Lewis was saved in 1932 and by 1940 he was addressing England during World War II on Christian thought and ideas. And the question was, why did C.S. Lewis grow spiritually so fast? What distinguished him from other people? Other people were saved at the same time he was. But he was just like a rocket. Why is that? The rest of the book is about his prayer life. You know, he wrote a lot of books and he got a lot of mail. He answered every letter himself. Hundreds of letters coming in. He not only answered every letter, he prayed for every prayer request himself. He was a man of prayer. If you get involved with real prayer God will move in your life in a way and in ways that you cannot imagine. And if a church will become a church of prayer, God will move in the life of that church like that church cannot imagine. You know, one pastor, Jim Simbala, pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, They asked him about getting prayer back in the schools. And he said, well, what we need to do first is get prayer back in the churches. We need praying churches. If we had praying churches, there'd be prayer in the schools. So pray in the Spirit. With all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. My greatest times of failure have always been when I am not alert. That's when the enemy gets me. When I'm simply worn out, exhausted, I'm not thinking about things. That's when I get hit. He wants us to keep alert. As we're standing in our position and we take our stand against the enemy, We're not distracted. We're focused on spiritual things. Focused on the things of God. Now I know people have jobs and they have to focus on their job. But that doesn't mean that they aren't focused on the things of God as well. And they stay focused. They keep alert so the enemy doesn't come in. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints and also for me, that the words may be given to me in, my, in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador and change, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Christians should be bold for God, we should not be ashamed of the gospel. Would Paul say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And we should not be ashamed. We should take a bold stand. Now, as we close, I I want to ask you. First, do you know the Lord? Are you really saved? And two, if you are a believer, are you standing against the enemy? And three, if you're standing against the enemy, are you standing against the enemy with the whole armor of God on? Let's pray. Father, we bow before You and thank You and praise You. Lord, we worship You. And Lord, we just ask You to speak during this kind of time of invitation, Father, in Jesus' name, Amen.